Alex T. Steffen is best-selling author, leadership expert, and one of the best public speakers I can think of. He taught me a lot on public speaking, leadership, and he literally contributed a big part of the way I lead today. There's a lot of leadership advice out there. However, for me, it feels it lacks a bit of depth, it lacks roundedness. And what is unique about Alex's approach is that he brings this roundedness, that he brings this holistic approach to leadership. And this is what he's going to convey in this episode. Also, if you want to learn more about a very unique concept, the concept of adaptive intelligence and how it relates to great leaders, tune in. So amazing to have you here, Alex. Thank you. Glad We've been with each since a while, since a long time. It's a couple of years, man. So thinking it would be awesome to have this conversation here and uh, share it with you guys and uh, just like have a good jam. That's, that's basically the intention. I am looking like forward, like we always do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so welcome, Alex. How have you been? Thanks. Very good. Um, working hard on the next moves. And um, I guess it's working hard has a a tiny notion of suffering to some people, as in I have to put in a ton of work to uh, make the next thing happen. But for me, it's it's mostly, I'm glad actually, it's mostly positive. It's exciting. It is full of energy rather than energy draining. So when I say this, I'm just super, super pumped about the next moves. And uh, now summer is here. It's hot. People are, you know, maybe a little bit like, hmm, where's the next lake? Where's the next, can I go to the ocean? You're in Berlin right now? or I'm in Berlin. Nice. Nowhere close to the ocean. Close <laughs> to lakes, I guess. But this is a great time to, you know, to hustle, to also, you know, work hard in the best sense of the word. Yeah. Yes. You mentioned suffering as, as a, we connotate suffering with uh, hard work or with lots of work. What do you think that is? Hard work? What is hard work? Oh, yeah. Why is it connotated to, to suffering in the general sense? I mean, I, I, I mean there's, there's a lot of statistics, but obviously we've crafted a, a society that isn't always kind to us. And I say this with the full awareness that previous societies, for the majority of people, were probably not anywhere better than, than this. But we've crafted a society that's obviously built on capitalism, which I'm not against at all. Um, it requires from people that they put in work to create value for other people to then receive something in return. And uh, I think that's a that's a great system in, in theory. There's obviously problems with it. But I, I do think that we've crafted a society where the word hustle, like we understand it, you and I, the entrepreneurial hustle that can be connotated positively is not the experience of most people. Most people are at their work. They might be not as empowered as they would like to be. They are not as autonomous as they'd like to be. And I think autonomy and deciding on paths, deciding your next moves, your choices is a big deal in happiness. And when you can't do that uh, for a longer period of time, there's uh, some form of suffering. It might not be the physical pain that we associate with, oh my God, I just you know crashed my bike and I my arm's broken and I'm suffering, but it is maybe equally, if not more damaging to the soul. Of course, yes. And I think especially right now, I mean, like coming out of these two last two, two and a half years, I feel also have a lot of conversation with people and I feel and I see and observe a lot of people really rethinking what they are doing in their life and what they want to do with their life. And yes. I, I even read some stats the other day that more people than ever quit their job. Yeah. Have, you, have you seen that? Have you come across that? 
It is. And when we talk about the autonomy from just a minute ago, uh, maybe a more accurate word is agency, right? They take full agency and they make a choice that represents more of what they are, even if it means stepping into it, into the unknown. And that comes with a whole bunch of other problems, right? And challenges. But I think they're reclaiming agency that they've had, that they haven't felt uh, over some time. I have a ton of friends that are going through this, have gone through it, and are always saying the same things, right? I feel like this is not fulfilling me. Um, yeah. And this is where it links back to the societal part where we've crafted a society to make everything go around, right? We need an income to pay the rent, to create a life that we want, to whatever, raise the kids, travel. And, yes. um, and yeah, it brings us in some uh, form of dependency. And that can mean that you are losing agency and then people are reclaiming it and to try to gain effectively, I think, more happiness. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. What's your experience? Like you have a lot of agency. I think, I think that's one of the things that I value so much in our conversations is that you, uh, you lead yourself, you make choices that are, you know, good for you in whatever state you're in, meaning you're choosing them specifically to have a certain experience, but also to grow. And uh, this is one of the things that I notice in you and have noticed in you for a long time. Yeah. I mean, this is, I think, a very leading value of mine. And I, and I spent quite a fair amount of time and intention and capacity, actually, on it, reflecting upon constantly, like, like freedom, actually. And I've done that, like, from the, from the beginning, actually. I realized, though, especially the more I progressed, that in order to have, you have to work for that as well in order to, 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 to claim it. And it doesn't mean this is not freedom. You have to put the time, the dedication, the hours to hone any type of skill uh, in order to just maximize the freedom. And I think when I even started out in my entrepreneurship career, I kind of went maybe a bit blind into just, just really like, okay, I want to be free. This is not what I'm going to do. But I, I realized pretty fast it's not the way. I, I especially as a rookie, especially if you don't know anything and you don't really are capable of providing value. And in order to provide value, you need to, in my experience, you need to put time in, intention, and and and, and work. So there's always this balance to it. I feel, yeah. So that's that's I try to balance it. But if I can choose when to put the time, when, when I'm most inspired, sometimes that's in the middle of the night and I do a night shift, sometimes mm. in the morning. So I can choose this. I remember when I had, a, a, uh, had one full-time job and it was eight, nine to five, basically. And I remember I had always this slunch, like this, this low energy phase during the afternoon. And I just was so unproductive. I was so freaking unproductive. And that was a major reason why I wanted to get out of it and to have this agency, as you call it. It's interesting because it teaches us one thing. I, I think this is a very, very big factor of inefficiency in society is that we all are supposed to work at the same time. We do recognize very much, and scientists will uh, confirm this, that people have different clocks. Yes. Right. Yeah. Some people are night people. Some people are day people. Um, I had periods where I was one and then periods where I was another. 
And another very important point of this is there's nuances in between that too. It's not just night people, day people, but it might be that you're hyperproductive between seven and nine thirty, and uh, you know, or or vaguely that time. And then uh, maybe if you understand yourself, if you read yourself, if you then respond to reading yourself and um, time a break in that in that moment, you get a boost of energy, and you'll never have a down in the afternoon. And maybe you would then uh, have another time of, of creativity or of, of a certain type of effectiveness, maybe at 6 p.m. Yes. But it just sucks. It's just inconvenient that everybody's supposed to uh, do nine to five, be effective for calls for, um, you know, all these specific formatted things at these specific times. And then the next layer of problems is when, especially in larger firms, they're global and people work from San Francisco with their colleagues in London and are supposed to have calls. I had this conversation this morning. Are supposed to have calls uh, at their 7 a.m. because otherwise they can't reach their, their, you know, partners, clients, uh, colleagues. Yeah. uh, So with new forms of work, with a transition into uh, new systems, we will learn to adapt and understand that we can be way more effective if we customize the experience of work, customize the experience of creating this value that you talked about. Exactly. Yeah. How, how, what's your, what are you right now, morning or evening person? Or what's your, what's your, uh, your ideal sketch you found for yourself? I, I shifted uh, quite a lot. And the most important factor of it is my sleep. I noticed that if I get a consistent amount of eight hours of sleep, that's a determining factor. And then when you talk about, you know, morning routines or being effective in the morning, what it really asks you to do, if you're consistent and if you're, if you're, let's say, wise with that whole choice, it means you actually need an evening routine. Because if you, let's assume you need these eight hours of sleep, like I do, and you also want to catch some type of creative time, let's just assume that's me in this current period of time around, um, around 8 a.m. Uh, writing time, then you got to be consistent with going to bed. And that means maybe making tough choices with your friends or with partners and uh, going, I can't write out. I, uh, you know, this is more important to me uh, because I choose to write because I choose to take that client call. And I'm saying this with a history of, of having meetings, not before 10. So I made it a point on the other side of the day, kind of made it a point to not to, to craft my freedom and my luxury of sleep uh, by just not having meetings until 10 and then I could go to bed whenever. Yes. But these days, it's really important for me to get the sleep and uh, take advantage of the morning creative time. Yes, this is uh, such an important factor. And I, I keep on learning it and relearning it. And um, sometimes you forget then again. And um, one of the major sh- things I shifted was recently, quite recently, is when to have my last meal. Mm. Because this affects as well your sleep quality. Like, um, as I'm spending a lot of time in Spain, like where, like everybody eats around 10 basically, (laughs) but if I want to be a bed at 10 or 11, it's not the best. So I try to during, especially during my peak, uh, efficient time, work time, I try to be a bad, like eat around seven, eight ish. And I'm coming back to the German (laughs) having dinner at 5 PM or so. (laughs) It brings us to a very vital leadership aspect. And I think that is your own energy management. 
Yes. And that can be your energy as in how how you respond to difficulties in any kind, stress resistance, this kind of thing. But what you're referring to is another aspect of it, which is equally important, which is, you know, biological markers, right? Um, Am I going to tolerate my low energy or my reduced sleep quality by eating late, right? Or by eating just before exercise or just before the meeting or something like this? Um, Am I willing to take that risk? Obviously, that needs a lot of consciousness because a lot of us at certain stages will not be aware that our energy dropped because we just had that uh, chocolate bar or something, um, or because we're addicted to coffee and we haven't had it. Yes. Um, but if we are, and if we like to improve in this area, which I know very well you do, um, which I do as well, um, then I think there's, there's a, a lot of agency in your energy management and that then affects how well you lead. I certainly believe so, because if you are affected, let's say you're more tired, then biologically proven, uh, you cannot respond to challenges in the same way that if you have a resilient response, right? You're well-nourished, you're well, you have had sleep, et cetera. And then other people are going to be affected, right? You might be short-tempered. You might be uh, not willing to make a change just because of your biological, um, you know, how you're affected by your biology. So interesting. So, So true, like having a lack of sleep or low sleep quality affects the general outlook to life. And my days are so much better if I really have a good sleep than, than the ones I don't. It's, it's literally, and, and yeah, as you say, your interactions are different. And also you see more opportunity and in turn, like create more value within a company, within for yourself, for other people. And, uh, and, and yeah, that's, that's very important. You mentioned leadership quite a bit and i know this is your uh this is your uh how we say in german steckenpferd the main topic so i'm curious how do you define it also in contrast i'm gonna throw you there but to power because Hmm. i think it's a common connection most people have yeah i want to start that that's a that's a big topic so we're going to probably you know talk a little bit about this um (laughs) I want to start, you know, everybody listen to this. Like you can imagine people that are part of two archetypes to make it very simple. Obviously, there's numerous archetypes, but there's two archetypes. You have a person that's a superior or somebody you potentially could look up to, somebody who's in, in, in some type, a leader of thoughts, a leader of an organization, a leader of you and your next steps. And uh, let's take the first archetype. That's the first person that's responsive to what's happening. They might also be uh, kind of stressed out by all the things that are happening, right? New modes of working, spontaneous changes in operation, surprises because they haven't prepared themselves uh, mentally. And they are also maybe more of a control person, right? They like their plans. They've done things a certain way and they, um, they like to keep it that way because their worldview says that if we continue that way, then we build a safe environment and a consistency in terms of what we deliver, mm-hmm. right? And the question is, is this person inspiring to you, right? If you're, if you're after safety, maybe that person is inspiring to you. They might not drag you or they might not pull you up energetically, right? And then contrast that with a person that is, you know, that has built this inner resilience that uh, can respond to things spontaneously, that is motivating you, that's giving you energy, and um, that's effectively inspiring you, right? And 
that is a leader that I think people are looking up to uh, because they can pull, literally pull the energy towards a mission, towards a next step, towards a responsibility, right? Yes. And this need for control versus this, let's say, more fluid way of leading is really what I'm what I'm spending a lot of my time on. And this brings us very quickly to, to power. Before we do that, maybe I want to share my, my, my definition of leadership, like, like you said. So leadership consists of attributes and competencies. Competencies are pretty clear, right? You need certain skills, right? Do you have the communication skills to effectively lead a conversation and get a certain result, right? Attributes are fl more fluid. They're like personality traits, right? Are you more of a loud person or are you more of a listener, right? And uh, some of these overlap, right? You can train your listening skills, but not all competencies or skills or at attributes are not, not all attributes or skills. But to make it simple, you need attributes and you need competencies that allow you to direct, meaning to influence people and processes or people and systems. Mm -hmm. So you're leading people, but you're also changing systems. If you lead, you're changing systems, right? If you manage, you're keeping things the same. If you're leading, you're, you're effectively changing things. In Are you creating the systems then? A leader is creating you're, systems? You're creating or you're changing, right? Yeah. And you do all of that with a certain goal in mind. So you want to make a better society or create a certain business value. So in summary, to, to have these aspects really combined, because we're really branched out a little bit here, is you need competencies and attributes to lead people and systems for an outcome often in the areas of business value uh, or societal value to make it to make it simple right and these are abstract concepts but that's my definition of leadership and as i said it's it's different to management right it's different to keeping things running and this really brings us to the contrast to power because in the past we've had a, a ton of leaders and we all have experienced leaders that are educated with traditional you know ideas of power and those ideas will probably not go away because we're human and we're fallible. So we will seek power. We will go after power, the power dynamics, you know, being louder, exerting violence to achieve a certain goal. It'll not go away completely, unfortunately. I don't think so. But power dynamics have shifted. We've realized in a modern society that the inspiring leader can be more effective in leading organizations, uh, in leading people and leading ideas and changing things. And as long as they can combine the skills and attributes that make them what some people feel like an inspiring leader or a pioneer or a conscious leader, whatever you want to call that, a person that doesn't rely on power exertion as in, as in you know, violence, loudness, this kind of thing, but they rely on something completely different. And that is, that brings us a little bit back to what we said earlier, management of energy mm -hmm. will allow you true influence. Because let's take an example, take anybody that's ruled a country as a monarch or as a power exerting, as a potentially violent person. That, pers that power is only their power as long as they can get the systems in place that keep the power, meaning they, control, they have control over the military or they have control over intelligence systems that you know, take the whoever's bad in their eyes, you know, the deceivers, the rebels, take them out of society, keep them low, put them in prisons. They can only keep the power if they keep exerting, you know, this violence in, in whatever form. But true power 
true power of does a person want to be influenced by me? Am I pulling a group or am I pushing them in my, you know, in my certain way of thinking? Um, that comes from first the influence that you have. If you, if you are in control of your own energy and then people, this is, this is something that's very subtle to notice, but we all notice it really well. We're, we're antennas for whether a person is inspiring. And there's, there's actually four P's that I want to share, but in a minute. And only then, based on this ability to have this energy management, that's when trust is built. Hmm. And that is that trust is built on yet another set of, of competencies and attributes that we can go into. But that's second to first being a person that can manage their own energy, right? Emotional intelligence. So to bring it all back, because this can still branch out into so, so many areas. Yeah. Leadership, obviously, you know, attributes uh, and competencies to lead people and system or to influence people's and people and systems um, for a certain goal. And so if that's voluntary, that followership of the leader is voluntary, you have true power. The other power is temporary. And it's More. certainly effective if you can exert, if you can bring up the resources to keep that power alive. But it will always be temporary because at some point people are sick of it, right? That person leaving the job that you said earlier, that person's gone. You can't have that person as a resource anymore. So could you sum it up? Basically, the involuntary leadership is more of a short-term approach. Oh, yeah, 100%. The, the short-term can be decades, right? Don't get me wrong. Yeah, we've, yeah. we've had so many autocrats. And, you know, we're in a political field now uh, broadly, but this, this, this is the same in companies, right? We have autocratic company leaders, right? And they get, at some point, they get, they, they might be very effective for a period of time. And then they kept in that role because they increase shareholder value, for example, and people find it very hard to take them out, even though they, they create a lot of damage, maybe on the psychological um, level of the employees or on, you know, other levels. But at some point that time will come and it's, it's inevitable because the world moves forward, technology moves forward. And with that, there will always be new players in the market. There will always be new forms of competition. And these autocrats tend to be people that are holding on to power. So they tend to conserve systems rather than innovate on systems because that would, you know, diminish their power. It's exactly. part of their, it's part of the logic. And so inevitably at some point, innovation will kill them because some people will find a smarter way to orchestrate a new episode, a new period, a new phase of, in this case, the economy. Yeah. And I mean, also what I think keeps kept these systems longer in place in the past than now, I feel is a lack of information exchange. We're yeah. moving right now. We're moving into times where the information exchange is just faster. So yeah. I feel like if you're employed in a, in a, let's say, autocratic kind of very, like by a bad leader, so to speak, then uh, you know, you, you probably heard of other leaders, other companies which are much better. So you might think about, hey, maybe I'm going to, change so yeah that that i think accelerates this process as well what's the <laughs> ideal leadership like can you extrapolate where society goes what's the perfect form of leadership is there something i don't think there is and i tell this from my personal experience of traveling quite a lot in the past i uh, had the amazing opportunity to live in south america I had the amazing opportunity to live in North America. 
in Eastern Europe, in Western Europe, even a short time in Southern Europe, and doing projects here and there, even in Africa. And But the obviously the, the living in a place gives you a, a way bigger and more reliable idea of society and the dynamics of society, right? Mm -hmm. As does long-term interaction or partnership with people from a different culture. And so there's a sense in different nations of what a primary drive is or what a very fundamental value is and that affects leadership or the desire for leadership, right? And many people in the past have said that, for example, in Russia, they don't necessarily, as a society, they're not necessarily used to what we value in democracy in some Western countries. Hence, you can't just say, this is better for you. You know, you're better off with a clean democracy as whoever understands, right? There's obviously different democracies. You know, there's a North American model um, that's rooted on two big parties, or let's say let's say the American model as yeah. um, based on two two big parties. Um, that's one form of democracy. I think European most European nations have a have a, have a different idea of what uh, what the minimum requirements for a democratic state are or for a multi-party state. But this is you know this is obviously branching branching off into details and details. But our Western European society here, we are much more open and request much more of that contribution in the political discourse where other nations, and I think Russia uh, is, part, is one of them, they'd much rather have a strong figure on top. So to your question, I can't answer what's the ideal. I can only give you my, you know, how I've been raised, how I've been influenced by my society. And I, I think I do value a lot the freedom that we get from the style of democracy that we have. And I think we benefit hugely from uh, an op more open definition of leadership, um, you know, in this case, again, political, but this, this branches into obviously the firm as well, having, having the ability to contribute to decision-making in firms. And that comes at a huge cost. You know, when people say, oh, it's so easy for China to make decision X, Y, Z, because one person is deciding it like this, right? This is simplified. Of course, they also have their power architecture, but effectively it's much quicker because there's no political discourse. There's no parliament that has to debate, form documents, you know, figure out the whole process and then present it to somebody, then vote on it, and then write it into law, the whole thing, right? And this goes for companies as well. A, you know, a company that's more led by a strong figure that can make decisions quickly, look at maybe Tesla, that will make decisions much faster and they might be good decisions and they might not be good decisions for certain stakeholders, right? And then a more, let's say European, without making it black and white, but a more European uh, design might be that you have to go through all kinds of levels and discussions and gremiums that give approval or that tell you change that. Otherwise I won't be on board. And without them on board, you can't go ahead. Uh, so it's always ups and downs because complexity what the, say the freedom and the contribution to your opinion comes with complexity. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I mean, it's, I see it's balance. I had yesterday a, a beautiful conversation uh, around a different topic, but I see parallels that it's, and it all leads back to balance. I mean, there's some, there's some benefits into a more conservative, slower, more like therefore more thought through process. Which, which comes or which involves more more parties and then there's also 
like uh, um, some 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 benefits into a faster process, more direct, um, straightforward, one type of leadership uh, or single leadership approach. Different times require you know different responses, but there's there's one thing that you said, and I I've recently contemplated a lot this word balance. And maybe if I may, I, I'm going to share my, my maybe a bit polarizing, but I think certainly important counterweight to our, to our love for balance. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd love to have this discourse with, with more people to see how this resonates with more people and see how I can update my, my thinking here. The idea is basically this. Uh, I, I keep hearing balance, right? And I'm, there's, some res, there's some resistance to it, like a little bit of resistance every time I hear it. And I'm like, hmm, is the world really in balance? Like, do we really need this balance? Is this the truth? Like, is this the, the organic thing behind the word, right? Is that really happening? And obviously it's, it's, it's attractive. Like you can definitely say balance is better than, let's say chaos, right? So I, I'd always pick, you know, balance over chaos, but is that really the, the debate? And then um, my, my thinking goes, Balance is maybe a bit of an overused word. And then I tested that assumption because everything needs to be in balance. But looking out there, nothing is in balance, literally nothing. So where are we forcing something? And then I'm like, well, there's nothing wrong about, you know, aiming for it. It's, it's a goal. You want more peace. You want more contentness, more connection. That might all be associated with, with balance. And then people often say this thing, yeah, but nature's in balance. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. Good argument, because because if nature is in balance, that's very often a, a very good indicator that that might be a good guide for us, right? Uh, for us to to follow that path as well. But I, then I'm thinking, hold on, there's different levels to this, right? We might be looking at a tree. I'm looking out the window right now, looking at a tree, and you know, we all go, oh, this tree's in balance, right? It's it's you know, floating in the wind. It's all happy, you know. It's summer. It's green. It's flourishing. It's 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 in balance. Right, nature is in balance. It's, it's happy and it's working well. But if you look at the micro level, you go zoom in, and you see all these bugs and bacteria and little organisms. They're all fighting. They're all like battling each other, killing each other, eating each other, trying to dominate, trying to be the dominant species. You know, and and what to us looks like this super nice balanced thing on this helicopter view or outside view on a micro level is this massive, crazy fight that is not at all balanced, not at all, right? And the same thing, you can say the same thing about our bodies, right? You look healthy, you look in balance, you've done your Qigong this morning, I guess, and you're, no, you know, no. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're doing absolutely well, you're in balance, I'm guessing, right? You have a great conversations with great people that are up, updating your mind and so on. But inside, you know, there's a, a, there's a war going on that if you were in between, all you could do is pick up your own, like, uh, you know, weapon and, and join the fight because somebody would want to slaughter you, right, on that micro level. So I thought what's really happening is a total response, like an, like an immediate response and the ability to immediately respond at any given time, which is exactly what you said earlier, right? Different times require different responses. So what I think my new idea of balance is not this floaty, I'm all good feeling, but it's more, I know what's happening right now and I'm prepared for a number of scenarios that might be happening next. And so when that happens next, 
I can float into that area with much more ease, respond better, be more effective, and be better set up effectively. So that is a better idea of. I like that. So I, 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 and that aligns with, you probably heard of, or you read it, um, Lao Tzu, Tao Te Ching. Yes, I've heard and, of it. And it's, uh, it basically, it's basically like Lao Tzu was a advisor to the, to the emperor and uh, he basically retrieved and he was just like sitting there thinking and philosophizing and he came up with this book as the story goes, like as his last work. And it's, I think it's even more printed than the Bible. It's like, it's massive, this book. And it's beautifully written. It's, it's, almost, it's a bit cryptic because you have these, uh, uh, these paragraphs these, where you have to comp- contemplate upon. But basically the, the, the sense is the, what, what, he, what he communicates is the middle way, the, in a way balance. But from what I get out of it, he says it in a similar way than you. Balance is an ideal scenario. Everything in nature tends to move towards it. However, it always depends on the, 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 the zooming factor, how balanced that thing actually is. If I zoom completely out and have everything, perceive everything, then of course that whole thing is kind of wobbling around and always into balance. It's kind of the, the more the, the organism way of looking at the world. Versus the uh, the kind of the the the, the crater model of word like we have it in the West, but that everything seems to be balanced. But if you zoom in, there's always like imbalances which tend to move always towards homeostasis, towards balance, and bring that back to leadership and a little bit between the lines. That's what he get out of his book and his his stuff is that great leader is aware of the balance beyond, but he is very present, so to speak, and very quick and adapt to what is presented right now with, with his actions. And he or she is, is, is therefore also prepared and knows, okay, this is the, this is the right action. And, and sometimes it takes a, takes a stronger action that direction, a stronger action that, that direction. But it's always like he has always this, this bigger picture in mind. That's what I got out of it. And I feel this is very aligned with what you said. I love it. This is, this is super resonates a lot. And this is effectively what you're saying is adaptive intelligence, right? Can I respond? I'm getting there. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's my next question to you? <laughs> okay. So yeah, elaborate on that. I, I was reading it in your book and I found it a very, very, um, a very fascinating concept. AQ, adaptive intelligence. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me to the point where I've written an entire book on it and I'm still fascinated by it, by it, which, you know, isn't always a given anybody who's written a book, who's listened to this. It's very frequent that you, um, you write a book and then afterwards you cannot hear or talk about this topic anymore, you know? So it's, it's fascinating to me that I am, I'm not uh, right now saturated with the topic. It's still so interesting. And maybe one of the reasons it's interesting is because um, both the economy, I should say all three, economy, uh, social science, but also, you know, neuroscience all talk about and, and develop this idea of, of adaptive intelligence in their own way, right? We talk about agility in the economy, but really you don't have agility unless you have adaptive intelligence. And we'll go into, you know, what that means. We already have the example, right, of you saying, 
from balance are you able to adapt right quickly quick quick enough to be effective that's that's really that's really it right and then in neuroscience um, it has to do with a, a bunch of factors but it has to do primarily with stress or they say distress abilities right how do you it's just called distress i guess in 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 science but we can just say stress to make it simple so do you have a big stress tolerance right tolerance obviously meaning meaning how you respond to it right how how long does it take for me to poke you until you go cut it out dude like what what's wrong with you right or or are you are you taking it with humor are you not even noticing it because uh, you know you're 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 just zen um, these things, or do you see potentially even the value in the poke, right? Even though it's annoying you, the poke might be of greater value to something else. So you're tolerating it for the greater good, right? So all of these options uh, are there for you. And there's the option to to consciously react to the poke. Upon the poke, maybe the person who pokes you needs to learn something. Right, right, hundred percent, and and that's the beauty. So, so adaptive intelligence is um, really I'm, I'm going to bridge actually to uh, the other forms of intelligence that we know and talk about a lot. Uh, classic intelligence, IQ, right? Our society, Western society, um, builds a lot on it. We always have a IQ fetish. Uh, you know, if you know you're so smart, you are so, you know, an expert in this, you, I trust you because you have all these certificates and you've proven that you're, you know, you can solve this riddle in like two seconds. Wow. And it's cool. Obviously these are great abilities of the brain. So I don't want to discredit them, but I think our society has a fetish for that. And that's not a problem per se. It only becomes a problem when we realize that it's not the only intelligence we need in order to cope with the world that we're in, especially this super fast moving digital uh, surprising um, world. And uh, I guess that the next in line is emotional intelligence, right? In recent 10, 15 years, people have really, really gained a lot of awareness for that and realized how important it is to communicate, to know yourself. We've kind of covered it earlier a little bit, right? Emotional intelligence is a fundamental part of leadership and a fundamental part of being effective as a communicator, as a partner, as a friend, you know, and, and also being kind to yourself and not turn yourself into a self-judging person. And then comes the need for molding the world, changing the world, stepping into the future and creating something that aligns with what our times, what our times are giving us, right? Right. Coping with the future effectively. And that's number three, three and that's adaptive intelligence. And once we understand that the three of them are equally important, and then now we can come back to balance, maybe, you know, to balance them out, even yes. though I don't say they all need to be 33% at all times, you know, different times, different measures, but to kind of increase our awareness and competencies in emotional intelligence relative to just IQ and also adaptive intelligence, then I think we're going to be much more effective as leaders, also as as you know, husbands and wives and parents and, and so on. That's, that's a big one, I think. Do you have any practices or any, yeah, any techniques that you teach or that you give people in order to train this? Yeah, to- yeah. yes. There's a ton. And, you know, some of them are, are age old, like, like they're not anything surprising, but the connection of a practice to your ability 
to be, you know, to have, for example, distress tolerance, mm -hmm. the biological term for, you know, not freaking out after a second of being annoyed by something. And this might be an idea, right? Your worldview might be things should be this or that way. And if somebody shows up and says, yeah, but I think things could be different and you are not able to have a debate, that's already a flaw in, in today's society because you might, you might not be able to have a constructive outcome, right? So, so there might be very simple things like that exact thing, which is practicing debate, right? Taking another person's viewpoint and just arguing out of that viewpoint for a moment, just for the sake of practice. You don't have to live with that viewpoint for the rest of your life. It's just about having a constructive conversation, knowing that the world isn't full of people that only think what you think, right? Yeah. That only see reality like you see it. You know, th these are very simple things because so I- Maybe that, if, if I break it down, that would be like a practicing stress in a way, no? And the yeah. way this is like, okay, like putting myself intentionally into a stressful situation where people are in a debate where there's opposing views and I, I, I basically practice my response towards it. 100%. And all of the things that I'm going to share with you are going to follow the same pattern, right? I know that you have and probably still do experiment, experimented with, uh, you know, ice baths and, and breath work. Right. And so uh, this is now becoming, uh, you know, more popular, but it's been practiced for, I believe, centuries, if not millennia. And the power of it is so simple. Anybody can do it. You don't have to, you know, buy ice and, and create a, a pot or something where you sit, where you sink in and, and, and do all this maybe dreadful to some people experience. It's very simple. You uh, can get up and take a shower, normal shower. And then at the end of it, you just turn it ice cold yeah. and you get 25 seconds or a minute of ice cold. What it does is it, you know, it does what you just said. It gives you that shock. It gives you that stepping into stepping out of your comfort zone, yes. doing something that annoys you for a short time, but it trains that muscle of not reacting right away. Yeah. It's basically so training, about, training the, the vagus nerve, vagus um, exactly. control, basically. That's the cool thing. You now, we, we now have so much at our disposal, so much biology that backs that up. So it's not just some 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 cool hippie you know stuff. These are scientific things that can train our minds. And if we realize that, we have so much power. Yes. And so what I how I always think about this is I step out of the shower and I do this every morning. Like for me, that's a routine. I can't even step out of the shower having just had warm water. It it, it feels weird. Okay, it's missing. <laughs> it's missing something. But besides that, I step out of the shower. And let's say I, I go outside and I have an experience that annoys me, right? How quickly will I, will I turn a downward spiral? How quickly will I feel annoyed? How quickly will I maybe respond in an unkind way? Well, if I've already trained that, that muscle of responding uh, to something that stresses me in a constructive way, then I'm going to be much, I'm going to last much longer until I snap, right? And this applies to anything, you know, an unkind person uh, bugging you, a, um, you know, you're already halfway to work and you realize you forgot a really important document that you don't have digitally, right? And you're like, ah, God damn it. I, I needed this. This is so annoying. Or, you know, this kind of thing. But you'll cope much better and you find more creative and more constructive solutions to that thing that inevitably going to happen anyways, right? We're going to run into trouble. But how do we respond is going to give us power. And that brings us all the way back to the real power, right? That's why we talked about it in the beginning, 
as a mechanism of coping with your own emotions. Exactly. People see that and they respond to that. We're all energy, right? We're affecting each other's energy and people feel inspired if we can cope with our own emotions. And it brings us to that inspiring leader archetype, right? If a person has that plan, can't think of anything outside that plan. And if something that disrupts that plan happens, they snap and they go super annoyed and they lash out at you. You're not going to find that person inspiring. You're going to leave that company inevitably, right? Of course. Versus archetype type two who inspires you. Exactly. Yeah. I think um, a big part of it is also, I mean, all these practices, they do it. Like it's also getting in tune with your body, with your emotions, with your nervous system. How aware are you? And that's also a spectrum of like, there's a lot of people who are very aware and there's a lot of people who are not aware at all, not connected. I think that's these practices that they train to, to, to just get more in your body, just feel. And the more you are capable of feeling your emotions, the easier it is to handle situations when there's an emotion coming up. They're like, okay, this is, I know about this. So you kind of can deal better with it and can act versus react better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So much. Yeah. Super aligned. I love that. And I, I think, you know, you are, you're somebody that I look up to for this, right? The reason that people, I'm sure you've had people call you like in the zone, Zen, in the moment, this kind oh. of thing. <laughs> yeah. oh, right, right. Exactly. Um, I, I don't think it's pri- primarily a personality trait, even though that helps, of course. But I think it's it's part of practice. It's training. It's practice. Yeah. Yes. 100%. Yeah, it's, and it's like, like we said before as well, like it's practice, putting yourself into these situations and so on, observing the mind. And, and uh, I mean, also for me, it's a lot of meditation practice that helped me to, to, to become aware. This is, this is such an interesting, uh, you know, part of this conversation because I, um, you know, some people that meet me now will not believe this, but I've been a complete control freak when, especially early in my 20s. And this comes out of a, a number of reasons, including my childhood also my personality, probably also certain traumas. It doesn't really matter where it came from. I was pretty like, like uh, I needed things to be a certain way. And when I didn't go that way, I was bitter very quickly. And um, oftentimes these days, people go up to me and they're like, wow, you, you cope with us so well. You know, are you always like that? <laughs> and I can, you know, because I know my previous, previous self, I, I can relate how that training needed to happen. And it wasn't always conscious training. It was just a journey over time, including some, you know, directed training to improve myself in that area, but also a lot of just vague things that trained it on the way. Yeah. But I know that it needed all of that to get to a place where I'm more effective now. It's not only about better energy. It's, it's about being effective. Exactly. And I think this is this hopefully resonates with the people that need some KPI, like some measurable thing, which is fine. This is very measurable that if you, if you respond more often in a better, in a kinder, in a more effective, in a more constructive way, you will get, get to your results quicker. And so do you have any practice that you do on a regular basis that helps you also to, to improve that even? I mean, there's a number of practices that I do from time to time. I don't have one practice that I do consistently my life, but among those is, uh, is yoga. I think yoga is very effective. 
I don't think we need to present to people the arguments why yoga works. Another one that you love, actually, I think uh, you were the one inspiring me initially to to dig deeper into this is Qigong, uh, which, you know, for those people that are Love sitting that. around maybe thinking yoga is too boring or whatever, you know what people say, uh, too, too calm. Uh, Qigong might be a nicer way of bringing movement and action into a, a very effective practice. Um, we mentioned breath, uh, breath work. Breath work is super nice to affect your vagus nerve, to influence the way your, your whole system, your energy system works. That's super effective. Then Practices, like I said, uh, you know, in the morning, uh, just just really getting into the conflict in a way. Um, there's another one I love that's a bit harder to do, but I do encourage everybody to try it out, which not sure if we've talked about it before, but I call it bubble hopping. And it's a yeah, simple concept. You told me about this. I love it. Yes. <laughs> Tell us more about it. I love this. <laughs> bubble hopping is another way of literally going out of your comfort zone. And um, we all are in bubbles, right? You're in your friendship bubble. And these are people that you're comfortable with, right? They might have the same social upbringing, maybe the same income level, maybe the same political views, whatever your bubble consists of. It's that bubble. maybe just regional, right? They're from the same neighborhood or something like this and or the same other demographic factors right and um bubble hopping now you probably already guessed it it's just you know move yourself into a completely different bubble and hang out with people from that bubble and just try to cope you know try to make it work including for example this you know political view discussion right i've just had a conversation with a friend who said there's this elderly home in central florida and there's all of these, there's a community, a strong, vibrant, alive community of these, uh, you know, cute elderly people that are golfing and playing dominoes and God knows what else they do, right? And the election came along. This was the last Trump-Biden election. And one of the elderly ma men admitted to his friends that he shifted from uh, electing Trump in his first term to now, you know, moving and electing Biden. And this guy got completely moved out of the friendship circle. He is now a loner. It's like a college story. This guy is now a loner in, in, this, in this community. And it's terrible because, you know, he's at the end of his life. There's a strong social bond. And now just because of the political views, uh, this bond is completely gone, right? Somebody talked. He shared this with one person. Somebody talked. The whole community learned. And now he's an out, outlaw, and it's so sad, right? Because these people, like a lot of us, are not capable of being outside of our bubble and being comfortable, right? And so, so I think bubble hopping is- So how do you actually like, practice it? Do you have any, any tips how, how people can get started with this? Simple things, you know, have social interactions with people from a different demographic. How um, do you make them? Like, how do you what do you do to meet oh, them? You know, like, for example, okay, there's, there's different levels, right? Let's go, let's say, um, a dinner, right? I made a friend, this is years ago. This is probably a uh, solid three years ago. And this is a person from a completely different culture. He also has kids. So he's in a family life while I don't. And I, I barely knew him. And he invited me to a, a park birthday party. And I'm like, you know what, whatever. Normally, you know, there's a, there's a certain filter we all apply in meeting new people and making time for new people, maybe, especially if you already have a busy life, right? And so I was like, you know, whatever, I'll do it. And it was just hanging out with people from a different culture that eat different food, uh, that talk about different things, right? That in other contexts, I might've been like, oh, you guys only talk about, you know, kids. And th that's 
generally not a big deal, but if you know a different conversation topic all your life, then that might be like surprising to you, right? And this is so, it doesn't have to be super complex and super mm. uh, difficult, but this is one of them, which we all do when we travel. But then note this, most of us travel and all we do is we go from one Western country to another Western country. And we one Western bubble in the country. <laughs> same bubble. We yeah. look at the Eiffel Tower and we say, oh, I'm in Paris, super nice. But what we really do, we drink the same latte, uh, you know, just made by a French person. Uh, we also eat uh, wheat bread. It's just a croissant and not a not a bun. Yeah. And you know, we there's a bit of language differences, but effectively we have the same comforts, right? Versus travel to Iran, mm. you know, take a bus, a night bus in Iran. And I don't recommend this to everybody. I'm just saying this is an option where we really bubble hop, and this is easier to to see it in this context because it's traveling. We all love travel, right? But let me give you another another dimension of trying this out. The ex-girlfriend of a good friend of mine had a project in a, in a class that she took. She had a project to specifically engage with, uh, this was a, some type of communication class, specifically engage with people that are completely out of her comfort zone, right? Which effectively, they didn't call it that, but they said bubble hop and you know what, we all, what, we, what we're discussing right now. They, they, they recommended this. And what she did, and she went with a, another person from her, uh, from her team or from her course, and she decided to uh, go and contact a party on the complete uh, political party on the complete other end of the spectrum of her political views, right? So she's on the center left side, and she basically contacted the far right party, and she's like, let's have a meeting, right? That was her project, right? And she sits uh, an hour long in a conversation, which effectively is a get to know the political party meeting. So what the people do is obviously sell their ideas, try to convince you to join. It's a, it's a sales conversation. And so she's sitting there and basically 55 out of 60 minutes, her and her team partner are not opening their mouth, right? They can't even because they get bombarded with these, with these views. And, um, but it was an experience, right? It was a a testing of boundaries, a testing of your emotional reaction to a completely different world. And so this might not be for everybody, but that's a, that's a high level of trying this out, right? So practically, like, try to do different experiences. Travel is good. Try, I mean, like, since I know you, like, I feel you're the person who experiments with this the most. I mean, I remember that day, I called you. Uh, we can manage this. You were saying I'm on a on a on a on a rally through. I don't know what what it was, where, where exactly it was, but you were <laughs> on a rally and 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 um, yeah, you 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 really practice this and integrate this in your life. Very, this, very to give context, this was a phenomenal experience that proves you know our conversation topic so well. Um, I decided to go on a rally as a pilot, as a a car rally, meaning. You drive a car from uh, the starting point was Prague, Czech, Czechia, and then you go all the way to Siberia, which if you pull up a map is a long way. It's 20,000 kilometers by car through most countries on that route. You know, most people wouldn't dare to go or would have certain reservations to go. And it's effectively what we just said, right? We're going and on top of that, the rally was designed in a way that you have to, you're not getting a four by four. Uh, AC modern car, you're basically trying to get 
the shittiest car you can get your hands on in order to make it an experience. And, you know, if you know that you're going to get there, it's not an adventure. So that was fun because we had so many layers of comfort zone crushing experience, you know, going through Kazakhstan and just figuring things out, uh, being in Mongolia and having an issue with the car and without any language skills, without any cultural skills, trying to find a garage that would help you and then trying to figure out payment and trying to figure out, you know, all these things that, you know, you think they're, you think you can just transactionally do things everywhere, but it's not that way. Cultures are different. Languages matter. All this. And, and so this was a really, really an effective way to, to test and, and push boundaries. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, but as a first step for everybody to, to the bubble hop, what do you reckon? Like just travel and do something that, go to different type of hotels, different type of events, or? I try a different one. I try it in my context because there's, it's, it's such an easy excuse, you know, like with any practice or habit or ritual, you know, if there's, if there's a certain friction or if there's a, if there's a hindrance to, to do, to actually doing it, you won't do it. Right. Mm. When you've had a tough work month and you get your final, finally you get your holiday. Will you really, will you really cross boundaries in your holiday when you want to recover Not sure. So obviously it's a nice impulse. The five to maybe 10% of the listeners that are already adventurous, they might, you know, take this as an inspiration, hopefully more. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm not expecting everybody to just, just dive right into this, but way easier is to do it in your everyday, right? Like just try, really try next time you jump in the shower to do that, you know, just to pull the lever and to pull it over and uh, open the cold water and then do it for five, you know, for five seconds. If you can last, try to do it for more, you know, do it in very small increments and do it in your everyday life. Or when you're, let's just assume with a bit of stereotyping, you work as a white collar person in your firm and, you know, just, just take that one break next Tuesday and go into where people, you know, do the manual work, the blue collar people, if they exist in your firm and, and just strike up a conversation, try to ask people about their lives. That's so much easier. And I guarantee like this is without any doubt, you'll be surprised, right? You'll maybe make a friend, but that's maybe more of an extreme. Maybe you'll just have a very inspiring input to your life so far. And so, so these things are much simpler or, you know, comfort zone overcoming might mean something like talk to your parents about something that you've always had a resistance to talk about. Right, a topic that's not popular in your family, this kind of thing that strikes up some some like discomfort, some fears. Do that and then see what you know. Most of the people here will will be adults. You're not you're not 17, you're not 14 anymore. You can now have conversations with your parents. And most of us have some communication issues with the people surrounding us. So it's very likely that some of us can take this advice and go to the parents and strike up this conversation and and maybe have a nice outcome that they didn't 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 expect i love it i love it <laughs> this, is, this is really good advice so yeah thank you from uh leadership to balance to ending up at bubble hopping and cold showers <laughs> i love it <laughs> so, alex what's the main thing what are you focusing on working on anything you want to share with the audience where can they find you what should they look up to You know, I constantly work on improving my impact, my mission to share my mission. Um, you know, I imagine a world in which every person is inspired by their, their leader is 
also feels empowered to do their best work. And then hopefully at the end of the day, they come back home with more energy, right? Elevated and not with less. So that's, that's really what I'm working on. And anybody who wants to jump on board with this mission can contact me and, and support um, effectively what so I do. Where can they find you? Oh, most, most importantly on LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn, Alex T. Stefan. Um, that's where you can find me professionally. And, uh, you know, you can contact me by email as well, but all the information is there. All my social profiles are Alex T. Stefan. And yeah, I'm, I'm crafting. So basically based on this third book that I wrote and published this, uh, this spring 2022, I'm now um, developing the leadership academy that goes with the book. The book's called, um, it's German title. The English book's coming out. The English title is yet to be disclosed. A German title translates something like uh, The Inner Pioneer. It's about leading, leading change and leading yourself. So the academy is, is I'm building that right now. And it really teaches that the three most important thing we covered. We covered some of them. And um, the, order, the order of important pillars really is the emotional aspect, emotional intelligence. The middle one, the, the second pillar is people intelligence, right? How do you lead? How do you actually lead people? And then the third one is adaptive intelligence, right? So how do you craft the future, influence the future? And so that academy is, is in the making and it builds on a previous academy that was based on my, on my second book. So I'm constantly developing my content, also talking to neuroscientists, talking obviously to a ton of uh, company leaders that are doing a great job of you know, leading well. And yeah, that's the, that's the main focus I have right now, but besides presenting. So I present in front of leaders, I deliver keynotes, um, to inspire them, to move them to more action, and um, uh, to basically help them achieve part of the mission I have for the people they lead. Beautiful, beautiful. When is the English version coming out of the book? We're talking end of the year. So end of 2022, we'll have the English version. The German audio is now published uh, beginning of, well, it will be published beginning of uh, August 2022. And uh, yeah, the rest is in the making. Amazing. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alex. It was an amazing, insightful conversation. Always, always, always great talking to you. I so it's a lot for being on here. And uh, yeah, let's wrap it up. <laughs> Thanks.